Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, DJ Hamilton, here of the DJ Sports Show here on WRCR 1700 AM Radio with my main man, Will, the audio engineer across from me. How you doing? Hey, it's a great afternoon. I hope you guys are all here to talk sports. We got a loaded show here for you guys today. I'm talking about Cooper Flagg committing to Duke. We're going to talk about Texas Rangers, one of their first ever World Series in the organization's history. And if we have time, get into the James Harden and trade to the Clippers. So the first topic I want to talk about today is Cooper Flagg. He was the big news that was announced earlier this week in the college basketball and high school basketball world. Number one recruit in the class of 2024 men's high school basketball class. And he's highly touted. I'd like to bring a special guest on the show. I consider him like a big brother of mine. He's a good friend of mine who I had the honor to meet at the Black Sports Symposium event back in April in Atlanta, sponsored by ESPN. He's a data analytics nerd when it comes to sports, especially when it comes to basketball. And he's a writer for Substack. I'd like to welcome my good friend, Danny Thompson. You gotta love the Appreciate it, DJ. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be on your show today. It's great to have you on, Danny. How are you doing today, man? Hey, listen, it's Saturday. Um, I just watched a whole bunch of uh, playing basketball with some of the, the ugliest-looking courts possible, and now I'm here to talk Cooper Flag. Let's let's go, let's get it. Yeah, man. So big news broke out earlier this week with Cooper Flag, who's highly touted by NBA personnel and people who are talent evaluators. He as he announced his commitment to play for the Duke Blue Devils over schools such as UConn Huskies and the Kansas Jayhawks. He did reclassify from the class of 2025 back in August, where he was number two ranked behind Cameron Boozer, who was number one ranked at the time, and he immediately became the number one player in the class of 2024. You had the honor to watch Cooper Flag up close and personal. First question I'd like to ask you, Danny, is what is Duke getting in a player like Cooper Flag? He's he's different. Um, I know I know that's kind of a, a weird cliche, cliche nowadays. Everybody says, "Oh, this guy is different," or "He's a unicorn." He's a different type of athlete. Um, he's 6'9". Um, he's very versatile. Um, first and foremost, he's a defensive presence, a defensive terror on both sides, of the, on the defensive side of the court. He's a very good shot blocker. He moves very, very, very well laterally and, you know, on both sides. He can, he can do what you want to defensively. He can be a weak side shot blocker. He can go head up with folks. He can actually guard multiple positions on the floor with his, his unique athleticism. Um, he's a dog. He's he's not scared to get in somebody's face and let somebody know about it. And his offensive game is completely growing. So, you know, at the Peach Jam tournament, I think he was averaging over 30 points a game, but also close to seven blocks a game at Peach Jam. We're going over 14 rebounds on, on Man United's AAU team. Um, but he plays at Mount Verde, so he plays against some of the top competition day in and day out, not in practice, but also in, on the national scene. So he's a unique talent, and Duke Duke got a good one. Yeah, Duke did get a great one. They, John Shire, this is his second number one recruiting class. He had the number one in his mm-hmm. first year as uh, head coach back in 2022 after Mike Krzyzewski retired, and then this year now, class 2024 with Cooper Flagg. So Cooper Flagg, we know he's great on both ends of the floor. What do you think his ultimate ceiling is as a player, and what are some historical comps you, you say you may have for him? You know, a great comparison was made um, right before he committed. Um, they asked uh, Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, who did Cooper Flag remind him of? And he said, truth be told, he looks like a very, very a young version of Andre Karolinko. Um, a guy that was a Swiss Army knife, a utility player that could do anything he, anything he wanted on the court. And they're both similar in the, in the different stages of their evolution of the game. Flag is still learning how to play offense. His three-point shooting is still getting there. And, you know, he still has the basic moves because he's 6'9", you know, but he's still learning how to 
create his own shot off the dribble, and he's a great finisher. Karolinko was a, a, a monster in transition. Um, like I said, we talked about his defensive ability. You know, he can guard multiple guys. He can play passing lanes. He can block shots. Um, and he's super athletic. So he, a lot of the Andre Karolinko comparisons are there. Um, but the thing is, on the offensive end, he's way past where Karolinko was when he was 16, 17 years old. He has an offensive game that is almost at like a Jason Tatum, Franz Bogdan type of level of offense. He's still um, he's still good for the mid range. Uh, he has some three point shots extending. So Duke is going to get one of those guys from day one that's automatically going to take points off the scoreboard and make it tough for those bigs in the ACC and on the national scene already from day one. Yeah, that's that's a great analysis right there by you, Danny. So Cooper Flag is he's presumptive favorite to go number one in the twenty twenty five NBA draft. He doesn't turn 17 until later this year in December, so he'll be 18 next year, December 2024, which will make him eligible for the 2025 NBA draft. The reason he, we, many people say he would class because he wants to get to the NBA sooner, and he's just dominating the high school competition. It, it looks like a joke for him. Like, it's not, even, it's not even funny. So he wants to hurry up and get to the NBA, which is what he's destined for. One article I saw is one anonymous NBA scout has some comparisons for him, like you said, Andre Karolenko. I also saw Franz Wagner, Jason Tatum, but they also said Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Do you see some bits of players in this game, those guys I just mentioned, like the Giannis, Kawhi, or Paul George? You can see the Giannis, especially Kawhi parts, when it comes to the defensive acumen. Um, you know, you know, we all know about Kawhi Leonard's defensive ability and Paul George being a two-way player. Um, the one thing with Giannis is that Giannis is just extremely, extremely long. Um, at his size, Cooper's about six nine, about two hundred, maybe two hundred five. Um, so I mean, I can see the the the, the Kawhi, the Paul George comparisons. Um, like I said because their ability to play both ends of the court, the two way side. Now, in order to get to that type of level, you still have to be able to shoot from the outside. Yep. Um, he can shoot. He can shoot to the outside. They mentioned, you know, he's doing this against competition on the high school level. But one thing that happens when players reclassify into college is you mentioned Cooper will be seventeen years old still when the college basketball season starts and won't turn 18 until right before conference play. Yep. So he still needs some time in the Duke weight room. And when I say the time in the weight room is not putting on 25, 30 pounds. It's just, and DJ, you know, um, you, you, you're, you work out a lot. You're in great shape as well, too. It's yeah. really about toning up your body yep, and true. making your body available because you're playing a position where, you know, you're going to be pounded on, and guys are going to try to back you in, and just is this maintaining core and upper body strength. It's not necessarily putting on weight because that changes players. Um, I, I look at Cooper Flag and his ability to put muscle on the same way I think the Spurs are going to do with Victor Wembyama. Is you're not adding weight, you're just adding core strength. Yeah. And the same thing with uh, Oklahoma City and Chet Holmgren. You're not putting on all this weight. And people think that you know because you're a certain size, you need to be a certain weight. No, it's it's making sure your core strength. Yeah. And once Cooper gets that core strength in a Duke weight room, of course, you know, there are so many NBA players and, and, and guys that have played for a long time that came out of that Duke locker room. Yeah, he, He's going to be fine. I think this is it's going to take a little bit, though, because he's 17. Yeah. He should be a high school senior when he starts college. So it might be a little bit of an adjustment period, but trust me, it's not going to be much of an adjustment. This kid is this kid's the real deal. Yeah, I think he's a transformative talent, especially on the defensive end. When I first watched him, I, this defense stood out to me first before the offense. And just the things he's able to do, dive on the loose on the ball on the floor for the loose ball. You don't see a player of his caliber doing that very often. And he has the will to win. Like his motor never stops. It's relentless. He wants to win no matter what it takes. And when his his scoring is off, he's able to impact the game in other ways. Like he's had games such as Nike Peach Jam. Like you had the honor to watch him in person. I'm gonna ask you some questions about that. 
His stats in Nike Peach Jam, exactly, were 25.4 points, 13 rebounds, 5.7 assists, and a shade under 7 blocks per game with 6.9. He had some games where he had triple doubles and blocks. Where one game, he put up 38 points, 16 rebounds, 6 assists, and 12 blocks against Pro Skills. And another game against New Heights Lightning where he had 37 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists to go along with 10 blocks. And then overall, in the spring and summer circuit, he averaged 26.8 points, 12.4 boards, 4.7 assists, and 5.2 blocks per game, shooting 37% from three. So you had the honor to watch him in person at the Nike Peach Jam. What did you take away from watching him in person that most people don't really get to see your prospects when you just see them on YouTube highlight reels or, say, watching on the TV screen? What are some things that stood out to you about him in person, and what do you think he needs to work on to reach his ultimate ceiling as a player? I think anything as far as, you know, just as far as working, right, is I think you're, it's playing with, you know, with higher-level talent. Um, you know, if you're playing on the AAU circuit, of course, you're playing with top-level talent, and you play with Man United. So one of the things that we did not get the chance to see that you'll get a chance to see more at Mount Verde this year is just the fact that he's a playmaker. Yeah. You mentioned before, like, you know, he's a player you could put in the high post, and he now becomes a threat, you know, kind of the same way what Nikola Jokic is in the NBA, or even Draymond Green. You put a guy like that in the high post, and he has such he is, is an underrated passer. We talk about the ability for him to block shots and affect the game defensively, and the ability to catch rebounds and his his, his growing three point shooting. But his playmaking is what a lot of people don't talk about. He's a good passer. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a very underrated passer. I think he can be an even high skilled passer. Um, he does a lot of things, like I said, the Nikola Jokic type things, or the or the Draymond Greens, or even one guy that a lot of people don't get credit for that went to Duke that's a very good passer is, is my Mason Plumlee. Yeah. All the Plumlee brothers are very good passers out, out, out the high post. Um, he has that ability to make good passes from the high post. DeMontis Sabonis is another guy that has under has passing skills. Um, yeah. But watching him in person, DJ, it's really – you're looking at this guy like, okay, this guy, like you mentioned before, he dives loose balls, he goes in the crowds, he, he will – Take on the other team's best defensive player, offensive player, and attempt to shut him down. Yep. He can guard four positions on the court. Um, I don't know if he guards four positions at the next level. Uh, I don't think he can guard five. Um, and I don't know if he has the ability to guard uh, guard point guards efficiently. Yeah. Uh, but he can cause a lot of problems. Like he can guard two, three, and fours easily. Mm-hmm. Um, he switches. Yeah. And he's very, very smart. He has very high basketball IQ. The kid knows how to play basketball. Yep. And the thing is, there's all different types of basketball players, but if you know the, the intricacies of basketball, that's what makes you stand out. And that's why Fag is so good. He knows the little things, and he does the little things. So uh, watching the person, I think it, the, the hype is there. The, it's, it's not hype. This is really legit. This kid is really that good. Um, I think he's the best prospect Duke has had, not since even Zion Williamson. I'm, I'm going back high school-wise. Um I think he might be the most talented player since another former Mount Verde player came there, which was R.J. Barrett. Um, I think he's more talented than R.J. Barrett. I think he's up there on the Mount Verde scale. Um, if you know the history of Mount Verde, they've had some amazing kids come out their school. I think he might be top three of all time, and that school has produced Joel Embiid. They have produced uh, Ben Simmons. They have produced R.J. Barrett. Um, they have produced a long line of NBA and high school and college stars. I think Cooper Flag is top three. Yeah, Duke has produced so many legends over the years. Like you said, they produced Jason Tatum. They produced J.J. Reddick, Grant Hill, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett. The list goes on and on. And he's now joining a legendary Duke class with John Shires, second number one ranked class in his tenure there at Duke. 
Danny, I'd like mm-hmm. to appreciate you coming on the show. Tell the people where they can find your work. DJ, it's been a pleasure. You know, I'm, I'm so happy to, to be on your radio show. And um, this is like it, this is like an honorable moment for me. But you can catch my sub, my Substack, which is called The Wonderful Data on Substack. Um, it's a free of charge site that teaches everybody in the world of data uh, from the NBA perspective and also the ability to learn from, you know, from a beginner standpoint because I'm, I want to bridge the gap between people who don't like analytics and people who love analytics and the reason and the importance for it. So it's been a pleasure, my friend. And like I said, I'm, I'm so proud of you. I appreciate you so much, big bro. Love you, man. Thank you for everything you've done. Love you, bro. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Danny Thompson, writer for Substack and NBA Data Analytics nerd. <laughs> And some quick facts about Cooper Flag before we transition to the next topic. He did set an EYBL single game record of 52 points, where he shot 16 of 18 from the field, which is 89%, 4 or 5 from three point range, which is good for 80%, and he shot 16 of 20 from free to the foul line, which is good for 80%. He also won MVP at the NBPA Top 100 Camp, which is an annual camp the NBA does, where they bring the top high school talent around the country and they play scrimmages in front of NBA scouts and do drills. And he won the MVP amongst all the great players there. And he also was named the USA Basketball Male Athlete of the Year in December of 2022. Coming back from the break, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about the Texas Rangers winning the first World Series in the organization's 63-year history. You're listening to WRCR 1700 AM Radio with your host, DJ Hamilton. Enjoy this song, Champion, by Kanye West. Yes, I did. So I packed it up and brought it back to the crib. Just a little something, show you how we live. Everybody want it, but it ain't that serious. Mm-hmm. That's that. So if you gon' do it, do it just like this. You don't see just how wild the crowd is. You don't see just how fly my style is. I don't see why I need a stylist when I shot so much I can speak Italian. I don't know, I just want it better for my kids. We was from the projects, but every time I wanna lay away or deposit, my dad would say, When you see clothes, close your eyelids. We was sorta like Will Smith and his son. In the movie, I ain't talking about the rich ones. Cause every summer, he'd get some brand new hair brain scheme to get rich from. And I don't know what he did for dope, but he'd send me back to school with a new wardrobe and hey. think he did when he packed it up and brought it back to the crib just a little something show you how we live everything i wanted man it seems so serious mm-hmm. that's that sh- so if you gonna do it do it just like this It's harder than dying For me, giving up's way harder than trying Lauren Hill said her heart was in Zion I wish her heart still was in rhyming Cause who the kids gonna listen to? Huh? I guess me if it isn't you Last week I paid a visit to the institute They got the dropout keeping kids in the school I guess I clean up my act like Prince do If not for the pledge, at least for the principal They got the CD, then got to see me drop gems Like I dropped out a P.E. They used to feel invisible now they know they invincible. In their 63rd season.
Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that was the sound of the Texas Rangers defeating the Arizona Diamondbacks in a Game 5 shutout, 5 to nothing, in their first ever World Series win in the 63-year history of the organization, led by World Series MVP Corey Seager and Marcus Semyon, who put the finishing touches with a 406-foot two-run homer in the ninth to power the Rangers to a 5-0 victory. So, yes, it's their first World Series in the franchise's history in 63 years, but they also made more history in this game. In this, it's their first team in MLB history and in the four major sports to have a single postseason road record of 11-0, according to Opta Stats. They're also the first team to win the World Series without scoring within the first six innings, as they didn't score their first point until the seventh inning of Game 5. And they also were the first team to win a World Series game without committing any errors since the 1966 Baltimore Orioles. So Diamondbacks, yeah, they were a Cinderella story. They beat the Dodgers. They beat the Phillies, and yes, everybody was surprised to see them in the World Series, but let's get to why they lost this game. Well, their offense struggled mightily. They had just five hits with 31 at-bat appearances, which is disconnecting on 16% of your at-bat appearances, while getting struck out 10 times as well. They were 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position, and they were unable to capitalize on those opportunities. And this is a team in the Rangers in Game 3, Max Scherzer, your three-time Cy Young Award pitcher, and Ardolis Garcia, who was basically your best hitter throughout the postseason, went out with oblique injuries, and the Diamondbacks won game three. It was 2-1 series. It was a series at that point, and I was getting worried. I had the Rangers in six. Luckily, they did win in five, but at that time, in that moment, it looked like things were going the Diamondbacks' way. They were gaining the momentum. The crowd was behind them, and the injuries were piling up for the Rangers, but they showed their resilience, their grit, their heart, and their perseverance. And their pitchers, such as Jordan Montgomery, Aroldis Chapman, you also had Nathan Ovaldi, and you had Josh Spores as well, who had the go-ahead game-winning pitch in Game 5. They all stepped up to the plate and showed their composure in the big moments. Diamondback starting pitcher Zach Gallen and relief pitcher Paul Sewold, they had five errors, and they both had ERAs of above 4.50 in Game 5. That's not going to get it done if you're the Diamondbacks. You're hitting Bullpen is struggling, and your pitchers are committing errors as well. That's just not going to get it done on the highest level in baseball. Nathan Navaldi for the Rangers, he was amazing in Game 5. He gave up only four hits, striking out five hitters as well on 97 pitches. Outstanding numbers from Nathan Navaldi. So I want to, some of the listeners out there, what are your thoughts on the Rangers and winning their first ever World Series in franchise history? You can call the call line if you want to give your thoughts, 845-429-1700. 845-429-1700. Now let's get into the Rangers manager, Bruce Bocci. He becomes the sixth manager with four-plus World Series titles to his name. He won three in five years with the San Francisco Giants from 2010 to 2014. He won in 2010, 2012, and 2014 during that span. He also beat the Rangers and won them in 2010, 13 years ago, on the exact day they won the World Series this year, which is kind of ironic. And this is a guy who came out of retirement just last season, and he wins the World Series. Here's some of the other managers he joins the historic list in that are also in the Hall of Fame. Casey Stengel, Joe McCarthy, who both have seven apiece. You have Connie Mack, who won five, and Walter Austin and Joe Torre, who are all in the Hall of Fame. And Austin and Torre had four apiece to themselves as well. The Rangers spent a lot of money this past offseason and within the past few years in free agency on guys like Seager, Semyon, and pitcher John Gray, to name a few. But well, they spent half a billion dollars on those three players alone. Seeger is one of the best shortstops 
in the major leagues. He's probably going to be the second finalist, the runner-up for the AL MVP award behind Shohei Otani. And he wins his second World Series MVP. He joins Elite Company as one of four players to win two World Series MVPs, joining people like Sandy Koufax, Bob Gibson, and Reggie Jackson. He also won with the Dodgers back in 2020 when they won the World Series as well. And he's also the NLCS MVP as well in 2020. His averages in the World Series, he had a batting average of 286. He had six runs, six RBIs, three home runs, big two-run homer in game one, and he homered in games three and four. Great numbers from Corey Seager, who's also a two-time Silver Slugger Award recipient, been a four-time All-Star, and he's only 29 years old. If he could stay healthy over the next five to seven years, we could be talking about potential Hall of Famer. This guy is amazing to watch, and congrats to the Rangers on winning the first ever World Series. So I just want to give them their props. They showed their toughness. They showed the composure. And this is a team that dealt with a lot of injuries during the regular season from guys like Seager, Scherzer, Garcia, and a host of other guys. And that's why they dropped in the standings and only had 90 wins this season. And that's why they had to play in the wild card round. They have the talent, but they showed their resiliency and they showed why they are the first ever champions in Rangers history. The next topic I want to talk about, ladies and gentlemen, quickly is the James Harden trade. But we're going to take a quick little break. And we're going to be right back. You're listening to DJ Sports Show on WRCR, 1700 AM radio. And we'll be right back in a minute. Yeah. Weezy, yeah. Richard on the card, I ain't go playing ball, but I'll show you how to gotta do it if you really wanna ball till you're five when you're back against the wall and a bunch of need you to go away. Still going bad on them anyway. Saw you last night, but did it all day. Yeah, a lot of murk coming in a hallway. Yes, that was going bad by Drake and Meek Mill. And now let's get into James Harden. Let's talk about James Harden real quick. So here's a little bit of the press conference with the Clippers. It's introductory press conference with LA Clippers the other day like I think the game and I'm a creator on the court you know what I mean so if I got a, a, a voice to where I can hey coach I see this you know what you think about this then it's like oh, okay like somebody that trusts me that believes in me that understands me that I'm just not a you know I'm, a, I'm not a system player I am a system you know what I mean so um, somebody that, that can have that dialogue with me and understand and and, and move forward and figure out and make adjustments on the fly throughout the course of games. That's all I really care about. You know, I mean, it's not about me scoring a basketball, scoring 30, 34 points. I, I've done it already. So um, that's what I meant by that. That's James Harden with his Clippers introductory press conference that happened earlier this week. It was a block. It was a blockbuster trade with between the Sixers and the Clippers on Monday night. This happened around like one in the morning, two in the morning. I woke up and I was like, wait, what happened? And I was stunned. And they were trying to, <laughs> it's funny how they try to do this late night so many people couldn't react to it right away. But let's get into a little bit of quick details of the trade. The Sixers sent Harden, B.J. Tucker, and Phillip for Trusev to the Clippers. 
And the Clippers received for Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, who returns back to the Sixers now, Nick Batum, K.J. Martin, and a 2028 unprotected first-round pick, two second-round picks, a 2029 pick swap, and an additional first-round pick from the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Clippers will also be sending a 2027 first-round swap to the Oklahoma City Thunder, clearing the way for the Thunder to move a protected 2026 first-round pick to the Sixers. And the Clippers are sending a 2024 and 2029 second-round pick to the Sixers in the deal as well. Now Harden is with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Russell Westbrook. This is his third stint now with Russell Westbrook. He played with him in OKC Thunder early in his career when he first started, his first three years. And then we played with him in his prime in Houston for a year and a half about before Westbrook got traded to the Washington Wizards. Harden is, I don't know how to describe it. He's a prickly type of superstar. He's a Hall of Famer. He's been MVP. He's been a three-time scoring champion in the league. He's one of the NBA 75 greatest players of all time. But he has been known to not really show up in the playoffs. And now with this team, I don't know how it's going to work. He's ball dominant. So is Westbrook. Guys like Kawhi and Paul George, they can play off the ball, but they also are most effective with the ball in their hands. And it's going to be interesting to see how they make this work. Ty Lue, the head coach of the Clippers, he has been a champion with the Cavaliers in 2016, a team that had Kyrie, LeBron, and Kevin Love. But this is going to be a different dynamic because, it's no, like, yes, James Harden is a playmaker and things of that nature, but he hasn't really been known to show up in the postseason. And he has had a lot of playoff blunders over the years. They were 3-2. They had a 3-2 series lead against the Celtics in the East Conference, final, in the East Conference semifinals last year. And they had their best chance to make the finals, and they blew that opportunity. James Harden opted into a $35.6 million deal back in June where he had a player option. And he felt betrayed by Daryl Morey as he had plans to retire at Sixer, but Daryl Morey had other plans. So he didn't want to be a part of Daryl Morey's team anymore. This was Daryl Morey, who also was the GM for Harden back in Houston when he was, had his best years in the NBA. Harden led the league in assists last year with 10.7 assists per game. And I just want to see how they make this work. I don't know. Like, I don't think this makes them title favorites by any step stretch of the means. You also have teams like the Denver Nuggets, who look like a well-oiled machine. They're carrying right off of their championship from last season. They still look like a great team. You have the Warriors who are playing well. Steph Curry's out of his mind right now. The Lakers look great the other night against the Clippers. They both were battling it out. LeBron, he, he doesn't even look like he's in year 21. Like, I don't know what this guy's doing. Like, he's amazing. i just never seen anything like it. And if the Pelicans stay healthy, if Zion, they could get their mojo going. They have a lot of talent as well. So you have a lot of teams in the West who are vying for that championship crown. And James Harden, I want to see if he's going to be rejuvenated. We know motivated James Harden is a MVP-type candidate. He was in the MVP conversation back in Brooklyn when he was on the Brooklyn Nets, when he was facilitating as the point guard for the team. So... We'll see how this works with James Harden and the L.A. Clippers. I think I want to give it, I want to give it some time because I know it's going to be an adjustment. And him and Westbrook are some of the highest usage rate players of all time. Westbrook is actually fourth all time in usage rate with 31.83%. And James Harden is 11th with 30%. So these guys really need the ball in their hands. And it's going to be I'm curious to see how they make it work and how they can play off the ball. Can they impact the game in other ways without having the ball in their hands? Are they going to set screens for other guys? Are they going to cut? and go to the rim without having the ball in their hands. They're going to do all the little things that make a championship-winning team. So we'll see what happens in L.A. And I think the Clippers are still going to be a top four or five team in the West. The West is loaded, man. And there's some teams I even forgot off the off the rip. Like, you forgot. I also forgot the Timberwolves. If Anthony Edwards and that big man crew with Carl Towns and Rudy Gobert could make it work, they could be something to mess with in the West. I know the Spurs are young, but Wembayama is looking amazing. He had a 38-point career high against the Phoenix Suns 
the other day where he beat the Phoenix Suns in back-to-back games, and he had big plays down the stretch, and he's one of the clutch scorers in the league right now. So there's, that's just a few teams right there in the West that are going to be hard to beat. But, yeah, James Harden to the Clippers, ladies and gentlemen. This is his fourth team in three years since the turn of the decade. He's been with the Rockets. He forced his way out there. He then went to the Nets with KD and Kyrie. He didn't like the Kyrie situation with the COVID-19 vaccine. Kyrie refused to get vaccinated, so he wanted to get out of there. And then now the Sixers, he felt betrayed by Daryl Morey, so he forced his way out again. He, he you got to call him the wiggle master. He's always found, finding a way to wiggle his way out of a situation that he doesn't find desirable anymore. So, yeah, James Harden, ladies and gentlemen, is now a L.A. Clipper. So, yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for the show. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode here of the D-Day Sports Show here on WRCR, 1700 AM Radio. Coming up next is Tough Times with Lou Will with the latest on climate change. Young, Lou Young. Lou Young. Lou Young. I am yeah. Will. That is Lou. <laughs> Lou, Young. Oh, Lou Young. Yeah, Lou Young. Sorry. Sorry, Lou. My apologies. <laughs> but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It's your host, DJ Hamilton, and I'll see y'all next time. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Peace. Got a sticky and I keep it at my dog's place. Girl, I left you love it, magic. Still going bad on you anyway.